In English, we use the word temptation and deliver, those same words, a whole bunch of different times in the Bible where the Greek words in the original might vary. We might have a few different words that mean temptation, and each of those words is used in a different context and with different connotations. So we have to kind of zoom out a little bit and look at what do these words mean in this particular context. So let's... First, let's unpack the connotations we're bringing to the table about the word deliverance, right? Because we can't, we can't give something a really specific meaning until we disentangle it from all of the things we're bringing to the table, all the baggage we have tied to it already, right? And I think deliverance, depending on the religion you grew up in, might have some different things, sort of like if it was the train engine, you might have some different cars coupled to it. You know, the dictionary just defines deliverance as the action of being rescued or set free. So we're just going to start there at that very simple place. Liberation, release, freeing, rescue, delivery, discharge, ransom. Okay? And now I want you to, like, deconstruct anything else that you might already have paired to that word in your mind. And we can put those things back on. We can put it all back together after service. Whatever you feel like putting back on there, that's cool. I don't have any attachment to what you move forward with. But for the purposes of this conversation, we're going to go with what the original Greek connotations were in this passage. So... And lead us not into temptation, but rather deliver us from the evil one. You'll notice the word rather is in brackets there. I interjected that because when I was studying this passage, I kept, my modern understanding keeps reading that word but as like a contradiction. Like these two clauses are contradicting each other, but they're not meant to contradict each other. They're saying it, it's an addition. So we're going to kind of get into that in a second. First of all, the word temptation here, parasmos, is a trial, test, or proving, to prove something. But not in the sense, like sometimes, again, from some of our religious baggage tells us that God's testing us. Like he's doing this hard thing to us to see if he can make us sin. But that's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about a difficult circumstance that may cause us to turn to sin. It might make it easy for us to turn to sin. When we look at places in the Bible where we see this word used, we see Israel in the desert. We see Paul and the way the Jewish people reacted to Paul and pushed back against what he was trying to do. We see instances of prolonged illness or poor physical health. We see a couple different times where Jesus goes through this situation of difficult times that would make it easy to turn away from God's will. You know, I think when, we're, when we look at this in the context of our own lives, surely we can identify times in the past where things were hard and it was easy in that moment. The easier thing in that moment was to turn away from what we know to be the right path. Sometimes this is like a completely unconscious decision. Like I think about 
Two of the times in my life where I have been the most harmful, most hurtful, done the most damage, was times in my life when I was in deep grief. And it wasn't because I was consciously angry and like trying to inflict that wound on people. Like, I'm, I'm repping my Hufflepuff yellow and black today. Like, like, being nice is like one of my core values, <laughs> you know? But when we're like in the thick of it, when we're in the weeds, when we're hurting, the path of least resistance, the downhill slope that like water just effortlessly follows unless it's intervened upon, often is the path of sin. It pulls us away from what we know is how God wants us to live. You know, I think a really, another really easy to see example is like you ever been stuck in traffic and feel all of this anger and malice and hostility just bubble up in you? And it takes an act of intervention to redirect the flow, the course of that. You know, I'm the family pastor. I talk to a lot of new moms. And let me tell you about the first six to eight weeks of being a mom. You are so tired. You are so tired. And it feels like you're going to be tired for the rest of your life. And at 2 a.m. sometimes you're mad about it, y'all. You're mad about it. The statistics say if your marriage survives until your child is three years old, it's like, woohoo! You know, it's like, all right, yes, we have made it. Like the next major, like statistical, like if you make it through three, you're pretty set statistically until you have teens, you know? <laughs> because when you're in seasons of difficult trying circumstances, the easier, softer way, the path of least resistance is often not the way we know we're called to live. And it takes intervention to stay on that course. It takes intentional effort to stay on that course. So when we lead us not into temptation, don't allow us to turn away from your will when we're in the desert, when we're in hard times, when we're in trying situations. But rather, see how helpful the rather is here? But rather, deliver us from the evil one, from wickedness. Rume is the word here for deliver. And obviously, the word we use for deliver, we see in a whole bunch of different contexts in the Bible, right? This is everything from like Israel being delivered from Egypt to the world being delivered from sin, from us being delivered from the bondage of sin that wants to hold us back from God's will, interfere on a day-to-day -day basis with us living in the spirit. Here, Rume is Deliver, save, rescue, guard, to, I love this one, to draw to oneself. Like I think about when my children are in danger and I snatch them up. You know, like you ever like run behind your kid and like grab them up and like clutch them to your chest. Like, oh, I gotcha, it's okay. You know, I love the image of God snatching me up like that and hugging me to his chest and guarding me and holding me safe. And I love how it, brings to my mind the verse about how when we draw near to God, he draws near to us, and that reciprocal connection. And 
Ruo, the first piece of that word is connected to the word that means a current or flow. So when we think about the way God's power moves in the world, the way his spirit flows through us, that current of something that was not there before coursing down. God, don't allow me to stray from your will, from your path when I'm in hard times, but rather draw me to yourself that I might be connected to the flow of your power, that I might be guarded and protected from the wicked one, from wickedness. So when I'm praying this, I want to connect to these ideas, right? I want to pray these words with the fullness of my heart when I notice myself in these desert times in my life. And I want to live these things out in a meaningful way. What does it look like to live out this prayer in my life? Well, good news, gang. Remember how I said we see the word peresmos for trial or tribulation used in the gospel in connection with Jesus a few times? We're going to get to look at those and see what Jesus did when he was in this situation. Because he, he is a man of his word. And what he does is live out this sentence. So we're going to get to see what it looks like to do this so that we get to emulate it. Tiny words. I know they're hard to see in the back. I'm going to read it to you. But for context, this is Jesus has just been baptized. He goes out into the desert for 40 days to retreat with God and prepare himself for his public ministry. And the devil comes to him at the end of this 40-day period and tries to tempt him. And we know, like, imagine being Jesus Christ and having all the power that he has and knowing what's ahead of you. It seems perfectly natural that the thing the devil would say when he comes to him is like, it doesn't have to be this hard. Like, you have all this power. Like, you could just make it easy. You don't have to do it God's way. You could just make it easy. See what Jesus does. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I mean, this is the same dude who turns water into wine, right? Like, he can make rocks bread. Sure he can. Of course he can. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. He answers the devil with scripture. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Starts trying to use scripture against him. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. You could be a different kind of king. This could be fun. It doesn't have to be hard. You want to be the king? I'll make you the king. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I love, we talk about this story a lot, but I feel like a lot of times we leave out the angels. Like we excerpt this right around the angels. But I think it's important because look at this in the context. Satan challenged him to call down angels to do what he wanted. And he was like, mm, no, that's, that's, that's not the thing. And he chooses to submit himself to God's will, to stand on God's truth, and God sends angels down to take care of him, to keep him from stumbling, to strengthen him. Similarly, we see this word parasmos used again when Jesus is in the garden. So, oh, context, in case. For those of you who don't know what garden I'm talking about. Um, this is after the Last Supper. He's about to be arrested and crucified. He knows what is about to happen. And he falls down on his knees and he says, God, there's another way. Let's do it the other way. I want to do this. And then he says, but your will be done. This is that moment. Jesus went as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He uses that word, parasmos, here. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So I love this one because Jesus is so upset that he is like weeping Drops, like drops of blood falling to the ground. Just like, I mean, sweating, crying, broken, well, broken hearted. And he has the concern for his friends in this moment to say, look, I know you're sad. I know this is hard. I know this hurts, but we have not even gotten started yet. You need to ask God to, for the strength to get through this because he knows that God will help them. He just received that same help. So let's look at what these two stories have in common. Let's unpack a little. First of all, in these hard times, what does Jesus do? He retreats with God. He takes some time to be alone and have some dedicated time with God. I draw near to you and you draw near to me. He stands on scripture Guys, we can't stand on scripture if we're not like regularly immersing ourselves in scripture. You know, it's like my kid went to a Nerf battle yesterday. He had like the coolest Nerf gun. He was so excited. But guess what he didn't bring? Nerf bullets or a magazine to stick them in. Doesn't matter how cool your gun is if it's, <laughs> if it's not armed. <laughs> you know, the Bible's a great Nerf gun, but if we never open it, it's no good. It's of no use to us. He yields to God's will, even when it involves suffering, even when it's painful and uncomfortable. 
He yields to God's plan, to what God wants in a situation. He receives divine aid. We only see Jesus directly interact with angels twice in the entire gospel. These are the two times. I do not think it is a coincidence that these two times are in moments where he experienced great suffering, where he submitted himself to God's will, where he asked for help and created a space alone with God to receive that help. And he thought of others. You know, how often when we're in the desert, are we in the desert by ourselves? You know? Most of the time when we're struggling, there are other people in the thick of it with us. It's really easy to get caught up in our experience of that and to forget to look around at those who are struggling with us, struggling alongside us. How can we strengthen them? How can we help them stand up? Remember what we were talking about in the beginning, how when we're in those moments of parasmos, it's so easy to be so caught up in the struggle, in the suffering, in the feeling that is so uncomfortable and painful. We don't even see how we stray from the path, right? It's this effortless thing that just happens. And our loved ones don't see it either. The people walking alongside us. Maybe it's business has been really stressful lately, but it's been stressful not just for us, but on all of the other people involved in that situation. You know, in the example about the baby and the, you know, the tired family, you know, we have the opportunity to either be wedged apart or drawn together to support one another or to become another thing making life hard for our partner. You know, and it takes a choice to stand in the truth together, to stand beside that person and say, hey man, I know this is hard and you're tired and you're sad and you want to go to sleep, but we need to be asking God for strength right now. I need you to wake up and pray with me. Because we are a delivered people. We have been and we will be delivered the thing that is so beautiful about deliverance, we see this in the Lord's Prayer. Our God is an eternal God. That doesn't just mean he lasts forever. It means he exists outside of our understanding of time. He's a God who was and is and is yet to come. Our deliverance was, past tense, fully executed. Jesus died and defeated death, and we are have been delivered. Our deliverance is in the present tense, just like our daily bread. Every day we can be given the strength, that flow of his power and spirit, that divine aid to be set free of the things that would hold us in bondage, the things that keep us chained down. You know, when we were talking about without intervention. I always think about like the Mississippi River and how like for 
most of human history, the river just did whatever it wanted until people came and forced it to go a certain path. You know? We are delivered from the things in life that would just push us around with the divine aid we can stay on that path he shores us up builds all the fancy levees and all that kinds of stuff that keeps us on the route intended the designed path and our deliverance is yet to be guys this world is broken we live in broken, imperfect bodies. Our relationships, even the best, healthiest, strongest relationships in our lives are with broken, imperfect people. We are imperfect and flawed in so many ways that cause pain and suffering in our lives. The systems and structures of our world are broken and imperfect in a way that creates so much pain and suffering. And one day, this world will be delivered from all of that. When, we ex when Christ comes again and we experience the fullness of his kingdom. This empty tomb exists in so many ways in our lives. It's available to us in so many, many ways. So what does it look like to live like Jesus in Aperesmos? Well, let's look at some practical tips. I know I'm usually the person who gives like two practical tips and they're really simple and today I've got like a whole slide, but really all it is is try and imitate what Jesus did in these two stories. But I broke it down for you. Um, I want you to retreat with God this week, whatever that looks like for you. If you are at a place in your life where you can like spend a weekend in a cabin, like just you and God, do that thing. That sounds awesome. I want that for you. Go do it. Maybe that's not realistic in your life today. Maybe it means getting up 30 minutes early one day this week. Maybe it means this is the, like for years of my life. I'm just coming out the other side now where I can, for years of my life, what this might look like was locking myself in my bathroom for an extra 15 minutes. It's none of your business what I'm doing in here, kids. Mommy needs privacy. <laughs> Don't ask, don't ask any questions, you know? Whatever that looks like for you at this phase of your life, to carve out some dedicated time alone with God, do that. While you're there, I want you to take some time to identify the trials in your life that tempt you to sin. The parasmos. Might be helpful to look back at times in the past where you went through a period of tribulation and found yourself straying from the way you know you are called to live. And then look at where in your life today you experience difficulty and struggle. And ask God for his help in sticking to his will in that moment. God. Don't let me be led into temptation. Don't allow it. I want you to pray scripture over that situation. But Nikki, I don't know what scripture to pray over that situation. Okay, cool. 
Maybe when you're sitting there in that moment of retreat, you will be inspired with a scripture. Maybe not. Don't be ashamed to use your concordance. Don't be ashamed to Google keyword Bible verse and see, look, there's nothing wrong with that. Read down the list and see what sparks your heart and then go look up that scripture and read it in context. I want you to yield to God's will over that circumstance. I want you to pray God's will be done over that situation. And then I want you to rest in God's deliverance, in the faithfulness that he will answer. He will show up for you. You will receive that flow of his power. I just want you to sit there and be with him in that moment. Give him some space to do it. Think about Jesus retreating and sitting and waiting and being alone with God for a little while and how that created an opportunity for God to do his thing. And then I want you to disciple those alongside you. Ask God to show you who in this situation you can be praying with. You know, and it might be that simple. Hey man, I don't know about you, but this has been really stressful for me lately. I'd, you want to pray together about it? 